Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Santa Anita Park and to a larger extent, the Stronach Group. This Saturday, March the 5th, it is first Saturday. There are 15 stakes races across Santa Anita Park and Gulfstream Park. Obviously, two big derby preps, one happening in Southern California, the other happening in South Florida. It's Big Cap Day at Santa Anita. It is Fountain of Youth Day down at Gulfstream. There will be two coast-to-coast pick five bets, one of them an all-turf stakes pick five, the other an all-dirt stakes pick five. Player-friendly 12% takeout with a $1 minimum. You'll have a chance to win a $5 million jackpot. It's free to play. You must pick the winner in all 15 stakes events. The player that picks the most winners will get a VIP trip to the Preakness. The ultimate betting challenge is happening this Saturday. A $3,500 buy-in. All entry fees are paid out. $25,000 seated prize pool on top of that. It's a fantastic contest. Certainly going to want to get involved there. And you can catch all the action in multiple different spots. Let's start with CNBC. From 4 to 6 Eastern, you're going to have Brittany Erton, Jerry Bailey, Randy Moss. Nick Luck will be in Florida. You'll see Eddie Olchek out in Southern California covering those events. TVG all day long. And then a couple of streaming options. First, let's talk about the In The Money live stream. Myself, PTF, some guests will be on for three hours throughout the course of the afternoon. Splitting up the three hours, though, there's also going to be an ABR live feed talking about the two derby prep races. So all sorts of ways to take in the action on first Saturday. Great wagering opportunities, great racing, coast to coast. Looking forward to it this Saturday, March the 5th. Be sure to check it out. Now, on to episode 105 of the pod. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is, what is today? Monday, February the 28th, 2022. It's episode 105 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find it, I don't know, 15, 20 different ways. Uh, however you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. You can also watch along over on YouTube. Search bar, Matt Burner, your show. You will get this episode along with the 104 prior. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Got back from a long day's worth of travel yesterday, last night. I don't even know what time. I'm a little bleary-eyed today, so I apologize if I sound sleepy or look sleepy if you're watching along. Um, it's because I am. It's always good, too, when you get you get a 14-hour flight from Riyadh to New York City, and then when you get to New York, you think, fine, I got one more little leg, little puddle jumper from JFK to Boston, and that gets canceled, and you don't have another opportunity to get out until 5.30 or 5.45, so tack on another four hours. And then I live about an hour away from Logan, so yeah, I mean, it was a good 20-ish hours worth of travel yesterday, but look, it was um, an unbelievable weekend, specifically the day of racing last week out there in Saudi Arabia. Um, just a, an experience that was very unique for a number of different reasons. Um, the racetrack itself, uh, I hope the broadcast did it justice. It's a beautiful facility. And let's start off this week's show talking about the big one. I'm not going to get into all the undercard races, but I will say leading into the Saudi Cup itself, it felt very much like there was only one headline story. And it was the Japanese dominance in all the races, seemingly, and the dominance of Christophe Lemaire, who was just, uh, I mean, he was 
<laughs> he was spotting dimes from across the room. He just was seeing everything perfectly. Uh, he was rationing out speed on these these horses in brilliant fashion, and it seemed like on a night where no one really wanted to be aggressive, everything changed in the Saudi Cup, where all the horses that you expected, and even some that you didn't expect, showed big speed out of the gate. Uh, when when Midnight Bourbon was a few lengths off of the pace early on, and again, keep in mind the fractions, you can't, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because there's no run-up over at King Abdulaziz and, and honestly, basically in most places internationally, there's no run-up, none, none of that stuff. So clock starts the minute the gate's open. It may not look all that fast, but it's considerably faster than it actually was when you see Secret Ambition break and go, which we kind of expected to be the case. He was going to be the wrinkle, the fly in the ointment for many of the other speed types that he had one way to go, and it seemed unlikely he was going to stick around at the end, but you knew he would be aggressive. He goes, we saw some other horses figure prominently early, including Mandaloon, who we'll get into to Mandaloon and a few of the big horses that just didn't fire, but the pace was lively. And again, it felt like the only headline of the, the evening, other than whoever, you know, which, whichever favorite ended up winning the Saudi Cup was going to be the Japanese dominance. And lo and behold, the shocker of all shockers happens. They turn for home, country grammar, putting in his bid off of a lengthy layoff. Midnight Bourbon, the two of them hook up, looks like it's going to come down to one of them. And then the local horses, first making miracles, and then the eventual winner, Emblem Road, rallies down the center of the track beneath Wiggy Ramos and upsets everything at, which again, in, in Riyadh, in live, real-time sort of scenario, we don't know what the prices are because there's no gambling over there. But I knew, <laughs> doing homework leading into the week, that he was more or less an afterthought. Uh, to be fair, both of the local horses. And the reason they were afterthoughts, I, you know, in hindsight, you look back and, and did you miss anything? No. The local horses were, were, I mean, we're talking about some of the best dirt horses in the world. And even if they're not the best dirt horses, you're talking about some of the best turf horses in the world trying a different surface. So the quality was off the charts. And maybe it's a little short-sighted to just say the local contingent didn't deserve a deeper consideration. Because they were both horses that were in great form. You just don't expect that to happen. We're getting closer to March Madness. It feels very much like the 15 beating the two or in the, you know, the the one instance of the 16 beating the one. It just, regardless of the circumstances, seems like such an implausible result that, no, I'm not surprised that I've seen some over in Europe. The horse was somewhere around the 80 to one number. Here in the States, I've seen anywhere between 110 and 115 to one. I mean, we're talking about... And I, I haven't gone back and watched the broadcast since because, you know, I passed out when I got home. But I, I hope we did a good enough job of emphasizing the idea that what you saw was, uh, I mean, Arkong comes to mind in 93 in the Breeders' Cup. He was in, uh, an even larger price. But, I mean, we're talking on the short list of all-time upsets. I also forgot in the heat of the moment on Saturday that... Uh, Torquato Tasso was a was a giant number in last year's arc, the German horse. Uh, I think he was in that 75 or 80 to 1 range. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that, but that's off the top of my head. 
it was just a stunning, stunning result. And I've never been at an event where the atmosphere was what it was there at King Abdulaziz on Saturday night because the only thing that came close, there were there were two, and they both involved American Pharaoh. One was his Triple Crown win in the Belmont. That was different because the anticipation was so high, everyone was hopeful that it would happen, and just purely on a number standpoint, there was a hundred and some thousand people there. The grandstand at Belmont Park shook like you thought the building was going to fall down. That was one. Another, but on sort of the flip side, was the Travers that year at Saratoga, where the anticipation and the noise level is through the roof, and then all of a sudden you can hear a pin drop when Keen Ice gets up to defeat him. But the thing that made Saturday's environment there on site and and maybe I've seen the replay, you know, I've watched it a number of times. You can hear it, but I don't even know that it does justice to how loud it was there. It was it was incredibly loud, and because it was the local horse, or one of the local hopes anyway, it I mean it was it was a stirring, stirring environment. Um just a, a crazy just a crazy result. Uh and I will say as someone who and perhaps it comes off this way from time to time and you know, I, I don't want it to, but as someone who can can be down from time to time on results and races and get so stuck into the the analysis of just purely looking at it from a nuts and bolts standpoint, this, that, or the other, that was the first race in a while that, and it did, it kind of, a little bit of a, you know, re-energizing for me because it, it was, it was electric just to see the horse or a horse that no one really gave a chance. Roll down the center of the track and beat, even with the big horses not firing, beat a really, really good group of horses. And do it on, you know, from a pace standpoint, he, he was slow out of the gate. And then Ramos, again, a local rider. He's been based there for, you know, for a long, long time now. But many people have brought up he was aboard the the horse that upset in the 93 Florida Derby at a million to one as well. You know, there's that element of local knowledge. And I tweeted it Friday when we were there. You know, we were going through just doing some some communications things and getting ready for Saturday. But I had been watching tape from the racetrack for months now or over the past few months, and those wide moves on the main track have been very good throughout. They just have been. And in speed on turf has been an advantageous place to be. And for the most part, you saw that on, on Saturday evening as well. But, I mean, it was just, it, it, it got the juices flowing again, man. It was a really incredible environment and atmosphere. And just, a, I, I mean... I don't know. It's, it was hard not to get caught up in the moment of you just saw something that you're never going to forget. And again, I was fortunate enough to be there covering it, but purely from a fan standpoint and watching the event. I mean, that's one. And it helps when, and I, it was the first time I had met him. I knew basically of the the, the folks on air, I knew Nick. I knew Michelle. I'd never met Tom before, uh, and I had never met John Hunt. And I, I tweeted it on Saturday night after the race. I mean, just 
I don't know that you could have produced a better call for and really going through the entire thing. He picked up T.O. Kane's floundering early in the race. Um, the fact that, you know, Marx Lorraine was in a pretty good position. The fact that Mandaloon was empty. I believe he said cooked at the top of the lane. Um, just a, a fantastic call. He's a super nice guy. Awesome guy. Fun to chat with. He, myself, and Tom Stanley, uh, we did a little breakfast show on Thursday with some of the horses working out and just kind of going over a number of different things. Just a great group of folks to, to work with. But, um, well, yeah, what a result. What a result. I'm still kind of buzzing from it a little bit. I mean, just those are the sort of things I think if you're someone who, and I mean, look, we all deal with it from a racing standpoint, but just in general, you know, there's, A, there are bigger things going on in the world. Um, sad, disappointing depressing kind of stuff uh, and then we you know you get involved with some of the other racing things and you see some other stuff with sports i mean major league baseball and all the nonsense going on there it's you know you feel like you get beat down from time to time something like this is a nice pick me up it reminds you why you first fell in love with some of these things and why you still pay attention because you deep down you love these things and just a, an incredible result um, congratulations to the connections and i'll be fascinated to see you would think you'd go to Dubai for the World Cup with Emblem Road. Um, I, you know, if I'm being frank, he probably deserves to be a long shot in that race again. I'm not going to let one result be the thing that changes the narrative of everything, but he deserves a shot. He just won the richest race in the world. Why not go on with it? Um, other horses coming out of the race. Let's, now let's let's pivot into more of the, the analysis standpoint before we shift our attention to the, the local or the domestic races that happened over the weekend, specifically the Rebel and the Honeybee. The runner-up, Country Grammar, I had mentioned during the broadcast and all throughout the week that of the American foursome, the quartet, I thought he was the most intriguing runner because I maintained that he was a good horse. And I will pat myself a little bit on the back here. If you'll recall, going back to last year when the Breeders' Cup Classic rankings began to come out and I voted week in and week out until they were sidelined and one of them unfortunately just didn't fire really beyond that. One, two, I had Royal Ship Country Grammar. I thought they were both two of the best older horses in the States. Country Grammar unfortunately was sidelined. Royal Ship ended up running a couple of clunkers at Del Mar and then he was sidelined. So I'm, I feel a little bit vindicated, not the vindicated, validated, whatever word you want to use. Country Grammar's a good racehorse, and coming into this race, it, purely on a figure standpoint, he was the fastest American horse going into it. He's a good horse. Early with the lead change, bothered me a little bit, especially for a horse coming off of a lengthy layoff, but for him to do that at a one-turn mile and an eighth, I think Baffert and company have to be pleased with that performance. Sure, you would have liked to have won, but assuming he's sound coming out of it, you gotta think... He's a prime, prime player for a race like the World Cup coming up in about four weeks' time. And no, there's no guarantee he's going to be able to run with a horse like Life is Good. But let's just say, while I don't believe it's necessarily the case, let's say Life is Good has an issue at a mile and a quarter. Country Grammar, I, I have no, qu no question that he can get that distance. I have no question that a mile and a quarter is something within his scope. If he's a tighter version off that sort of run, off of a lengthy layoff, I think you have to look at country grammar as a legitimate alternative to a horse like Life is Good. 
if they do choose to go to the Dubai World Cup. Uh, Midnight Bourbon. I'll tell you what, he ran, and uh, you know, uh, he ran so much better than I, I don't want to say than I thought he would run, but at the top of the lane, he looked like he could be a winner of the race, and he flattened out some at the end. I have to think at this point, and we'll get to Mandaloon in a second, I had mentioned the thought of, I, w- I want to see him turn back. I wonder if he's a prime example of a horse that's been doing things, and he's been doing them well, despite the fact he didn't really want to do them. And I'm saying this with the caveat that Steve Asmussen knows much, much more than I do. But watching him run, he gets a little short at the end of some of these races. He doesn't have to have the lead. I lo- I'd love to at least see what seven-eighths of a mile would work. The Churchill Downs on the undercard of the Derby. Grade one, seven-eighths of a mile between now and then. That gives him a good two months. Get him back here. Give him a little bit of a breather. Get him in for a month and then bang, take a shot. If not that, the Met Mile makes sense, I think. But I'd love to see him. I'd, I'd love to see a turn back for him. He's a very talented horse. When you see him continuing to to not struggle at the end, but he doesn't finish as well as many of his counterparts do, can't help but think part of it is because maybe he just doesn't really want to go this far. Uh, and who knows, maybe turning him back will really fully sort of, you know, get into that untapped potential. Midnight Bourbon, I thought, ran really well. Uh, Mandaloon was terrible. And I don't know, I don't really know where you want to go from here. He's another one, though, that I'd like to turn back. Find out. Maybe he's been going a little bit too far. I said it in the, on the pod last week. I don't know what his ideal distance is. Is he a mile and an eighth? Is he a mile and a sixteenth? Is he a mile and a quarter? Is he seven eighths? I would try to turn. I would turn him back as well. See what happens. Doesn't mean that you can't stretch him back out in time, but find out. I would think if maybe they do want to go shorter, and there's nothing wrong with having a one turn horse. Luckily for the boys, you got many options. You've got the Churchill Downs. You've got the Grade One Met Mile. You've got the Forgo at Saratoga. You know you've got maybe some slightly lesser races as far as the grading is concerned. But you've got the Akak that you can run in. There, there are many options for one-turn runners. And if you still believe that you've got a big-time one-turn runner, who's to say you don't wait for a race like the the uh, Woodward at Belmont Park in the fall? As far as Breeders' Cup time goes, this year it's at Keeneland. You're probably looking at the two-turn dirt mile. Or if you think he continues to develop and you take another shot at the Classic. You know, I mean, there are many things you can do, but I would be curious at this point anyway if, again, I use Frosted as the example. These horses that they're so good that they can do other things. But when you allow them to actually do what they want, Frosted's Met Mile, who knows about these two horses, Midnight Bourbon and Mandaloon, they explode. I'd at least like to find out if that is the case. As far as the rest of the field is concerned, the Japanese contingent, oh, Art Collector, he was part of that pace early on, and I just think it was much, much hotter than maybe it even seemed at face value. Um, Not going to hold that race totally against them. The Japanese contingent, March Lorraine actually ran quite well. Uh, she was traveling well and behind horses, and when the real running started, she just kind of finished evenly, but she gave a good account of herself. I loved T.O. Kane's going in, and John Hunt alluded to it. I mean, he was cooked early. Um, 
the interesting thing is he actually like stayed on at the end, and I do wonder perhaps some of it had to do with kickback. We had heard earlier in the week that the Japanese contingent, they were concerned, and the folks involved specifically with T.O. Keynes, they were concerned that the dirt at King Abdulaziz was different than the dirt that he had run on or had been running on in Japan. And they thought perhaps that March Lorraine would take to it better than he would. Based on the result, that's exactly how it played out. But um, I don't I don't regret going with him. I, I thought that Champions Cup was a tremendous performance. And if he replicated it, he would have been right there at the wire. And unfortunately for me and, you know, anybody that may, may have actually backed him, uh, he didn't replicate that performance. Uh, it's part of the game. You, you do your handicapping, you come to your conclusion, and you hope that you're right. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. Uh, and Mishrif, we'll, we'll end on, on him. And there are other horses in the race, and if you have questions about them or thoughts, leave them beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, Mishrif, I, I don't know what that was. Keep in mind, we hadn't seen him since the champion stakes, a race in which he ran really, really poorly. I attributed that more to condition than anything else. And when I say condition, I mean the ground. He was, he was terrible. He was really bad in this race. And you, you have to wonder if something's wrong for him to run that poorly. I mean, this, this is a horse that typically shows up. And even if he doesn't win, he runs a, a respectable and admirable race. He was he was dreadful on Saturday. And um, you hope he's okay. Um, but, yeah, just a, a shockingly bad performance. I, I, you know, if, it, <laughs> if Emblem Road didn't win... The shock of the race would have been the disappointment of, in the States anyway, the co-favorite, not co-favorites, I shouldn't say that, Mandaloon was a pretty clear-cut favorite in the States, but the top two choices, Mishriff and Mandaloon running, I think, ninth and 14th, I mean, like, terribly, and that would have been the story, and instead the story is Emblem Road winning what was just a, a, a wild, wild result in the 2022 Saudi Cup. We'll find out. Maybe this is just the beginning for Emblem Road. Um, be very interested to see what the form of this race looks like coming out of it, where these horses go from here, and what your overall thoughts are on the race itself, the 2022 Saudi Cup, or even the undercard races. So I'm happy to dive into those next week if people have other questions, thoughts, or comments. Before we transition into recapping the Derby prep and the Oaks prep, and we'll lump them together because they could not be on more opposite ends of the spectrum. And that'll be all we'll go over here on this week's show. Uh, a quick word from our friends at Sam Houston Race Park. Make plans to head on down to Houston for an NHC qualifier on March 26th at Sam Houston Race Park. There's a big contest going on. $1,000 entry fee. It's all bankroll, and you keep what you have left. Tour points will be available, and the top two finishers win all expenses paid trips to the NHC in February of 2023. For more details, head on over to SHRP.com. That's SHRP. Sam Houston Race Park. Big contest going on. NHC qualifier, March 26th, on site. Check out all the details. Our friends down at Sam Houston in Texas. All right, let's take a quick break and we come back. What to make of the races in Hot Springs. All right, we're going to wrap up this week's show going over the two preps that we had at Oaklawn. You had the Rebel, you had the Honeybee. The two races couldn't be farther apart as far as importance is concerned to their respective races, the Derby and the Oaks. Let's start with the bad. 
get this out of the way. I I like Newgrange. I think Newgrange is a talented horse. He didn't show that on Saturday. When you look at this race, won by Unoho, paid one hundred and fifty-two dollars, seventy-five to one. Uh, career best buyer of eighty-four. The time form U.S. Fig is, uh, I believe, somewhere thereabouts, like a one hundred and seven. Call it. Could be even slower. I don't really have much positive to say about this race. I don't know how you can. I mean, none of the horses ran particularly quick. <sighs> Ethereal Road in 83, Barber Road in 83, Cavett in 81. But I mean, Newgrange was bad. Dash Attack didn't improve. I... Chasing Time didn't do anything. I, I didn't think any of the trips were awful. I just, I, I think it's a bad group. The new Grange, I suppose you can just be kind and, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, but he was so bad. I, I, I mean, I think it's a really bad race. Really bad. And maybe one of these horses will make me think otherwise. I suppose if you are really, really grasping at straws, who's the winner from this race? Maybe it's early voting, who won the Withers by four and a half lengths and defeated Unoho, who ran second. I guess this kind of flatters him, but again, I, I think the race is bad. Um, I don't know what you want to do with this. So purely from a prep rating standpoint, and I don't know, I'm going to really go into like trips and things like that. I suppose if you want to look at it, Barber Road moved up down the backside inside horses, got into a position, then wasn't really moving all that well in the turn and kicked on at the end. I would like to think that maybe the horse is a little bit green, but he's run seven times. And from a fig standpoint, he's effectively run the same race what, each of his past four? 84, 78, 86, 83. I mean, he's just not getting any better. Runs in spots, it seems like. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm really struggling to pull positives from this. Congratulations to the connections. I mean, it, it's a, it's got to be an exciting time. You've punched your ticket to the Kentucky Derby, but I mean, I would be, I would be stunned if this horse, based on today anyway, had any real effect on the outcome the first Saturday in May. Having said this, I just saw a horse that was 110 to 1 or whatever it was win the Saudi Cup. So anything is possible. But, but just looking at the race and the way it played out, I'm giving the prep rating a 1. I just don't see how you're going to get anything out of this race to truly affect the outcome of the Kentucky Derby. Now having said that, the boys, I initially thought it was a good group. I still do. I'm not ready to write them off, but I will say the past few weeks leave you a little bit, mm, a little lukewarm, which then rolls into the honeybee and the complete opposite, where Secret Oath, she wins again, and not only does she win again, she wins by open links again, and she does it in a fashion that I loved. She earns a 92 buyer. I believe it was a 111 time form US rating. So they, they seem to check out for the most part. But for her to... The big thing that I wrote in my trip notes, my form note anyway, for DRF's product, is the agility that she shows rounding the far turn to be willing and able to scoot up the inside. After being in a little bit of a box going into and rounding the far turn, 
There's a little hole that opens up down on the inside, and for Contreras to be able to get her down there and for her to kick through, I think that is a very encouraging sign. And there's also something to be said about, I hate the phrase turn of foot on dirt. I think it's silly. I think it's a bit of a misnomer. It's the same idea as like cruising speed. What what does that mean? It's just how she runs. But I know I'm in the minority there, and I know it makes me sound like a curmudgeon. But the turn of foot thing, I think of it as a quickening. She actually does appear to have a turn of foot on dirt, which is, I think, much more unique than it's made out to be. At the three-quarter, at the third call of the race, she is, what, uh, a length behind the leader. And at the next point of call, she's five clear. I mean, in the blink of an eye, she's opened up five. Now, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at it and say, she's brilliant. Or you can look at it and say, she got nothing running behind her. As is the case with almost everything, the truth's probably in the middle. Um, But she is extremely talented. There's no, you know... There's no denying that now, no arguing it. I know, again, going back to when this filly was brought up or brought to my attention, we talked about her on the pod by that that listener and that viewer. Um, I said, I got I to gotta see it without the Lasix because she had just taken such a substantial jump from that run in the Goldenrod to that allowance race where she moved her, her buyers up 29 points. And she's done that. She's backed it up in these last two races. No, she hasn't run faster than the 93, but the way that she's doing it, um, I I mean, there's nothing to knock. The only concern, if you're looking for a red flag or a reason to possibly try to fade her or go against her, that the three massive races have come in Oaklawn Park. And while she did win and break her maiden in blowout fashion at Churchill Downs, she ran slow. She'll need to show that she can transfer that form to another track, but, I mean, I, I don't... The tape backs up what the numbers suggest, that she's good. And when she when she puts these fields to bed, she puts them to bed in the blink of an eye. I think, I think she's a very, very interesting filly, not just for the run into the Oaks, but going forward because she's by Arrowgate. And unfortunately, we're not going to have a great uh, a great sample to work with as far as Arrowgate's progeny are concerned because of his untimely death. But, I mean, I, I wonder if, if she and any of his other offspring are going to be like he was, where uh, they got better as they got older, really, uh, until he, you know, blew the engine after the Dubai race. The only other thing I'll throw in there about Secret Oath and Echo Zulu, who has not come back yet, but she's working. And again, to this person's eye, um, I mean, she looks like a million dollars on the racetrack, as, as she always has. With the boys being as uh, suspect as they are, I, unless something ridiculous happens on first Saturday in the Fountain of Youth, or the San Felipe. And one of some horse or a few horses run massive races and earn big big and when I'm saying big big numbers, I'm saying at least 
high 90, low 100s. If I'm involved with Secret Oath or I'm involved with Echo Zulu, I'm, I'm running against the boys in the next race. Secret Oath even more so. Because the Arkansas boys look terrible right now. Which, to be fair, is probably going to open the door for out-of-towners to look and go, what are we afraid of in the Arkansas Derby down there? So maybe that field ends up being a little bit saltier. You get some more shippers. But if you're just talking about the local hopes in Arkansas, I mean, she's as good as any of them, if not better. Echo Zulu, she's going to have to come back to the races at some point. Will she be cranked up and ready to go first off the bench? I don't know. But we're getting pretty, pretty close to the point where it's going to be one prep and then Oaks slash Derby. But the reason I would do it is because both of these girls, Echo Zulu, I guess, is a little bit closer to being bubble-ish. But, I, I mean, you're probably going to have your points to get into the Oaks. And you're going to, in theory, run one more time no matter what. So what what is the downside, if you're Secret Oath, to running in the Arkansas Derby? And, and by the way, it's not lost on me that Wayne Lucas is their trainer. If she runs in the Arkansas Derby and it doesn't work for whatever reason, fine. You got your final prep in. You got four weeks. You're running the Kentucky Oaks. You're one of the favorites. If you're Echo Zulu, I believe last I looked, she's got 30 points, I want to say. And again, I'm going to do what everyone loves. You're listening to something or you're watching something as somebody's doing research. Um, the Oaks Phillies, Secret Oath, 60 points is more than enough to get her in. And Echo Zulu's got 30. Let's say it's it caps out at a 14-horse field. I mean, there's still a long way to go for horses to pass Echo Zulu. I suppose if you're fearful of not being able to get enough points to get into the Oaks, then sure, run, run in one of the, the Philly preps and, and go from there. But... If she's as good as, you know, her two-year-old form suggests, and we think that she's going to be somewhat close to that going forward, why not run in, boy, the Louisiana Derby would be a tough spot for her to come back in because that's running a mile and three-sixteenths. You probably would have to get her out of town. I don't know if you want to do that. But point being, if these girls ran against the boys in the final round of preps and it didn't work, so be it. We go back and we run in the Oaks. And we're the two horses to beat. If it works, then you have a choice to make. And let's say they don't win. Let's say they run really well against the boys. And they get their points that they need to get into the starting gate. You can look at it and say, do we... And the beauty is your the connections would have all that lead-in time. Basically until whenever you know entries are taken. Roughly a week out from Oaks and Derby. You have all that time to make a decision of what race you would want to go in. You can take a full view of the landscape and say, you know what, the girls, there's nothing behind us. We're not worried about it. Or the boys, they haven't developed. We have a chance. If either of them win, whatever race they could run against the boys in, I mean, again, the, the world is, it, it's theirs for for the taking. They can, they can do what they want. Um, again, I'm not someone who, cares about the whole, oh, let the girls... I, I get the, the logic of you have a major prize that is restricted to just Phillies 
why would you bypass that? But in the big picture, if the boys keep looking pedestrian and these two girls keep running the way that they have or we've seen them in the past, why wouldn't you take a shot? That's just my feeling. And by the way, don't forget, out on the West Coast, you've still got a dare manner. And who knows what the whole Baffert thing will be, but she's she's very good. You know, so it's not as though the Oaks would be a, a, a cupcake, even if it's just these two. Well, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. The Derby? I mean, how many of the Derby horses are you terrified of? I like the Louisiana Path right now. I think all those horses are good. And that's why I, I kind of preface this conversation by saying, let's see what happens this coming Saturday. If somebody runs big in the Fountain of Youth or somebody runs big out in Southern California, maybe the whole tune changes. But if they all kind of do what they've been doing, what do you have to lose? What are you afraid of? Just my two cents. Let me know what your thoughts are about Secret Oath, about Unoho, about the Honey Bee as a whole, about the Rebel as a whole and what these two divisions look like going forward, because don't look now, but we've got, what, roughly eight-ish weeks until the first Friday and Saturday in May? Clock's ticking. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Please rate, review, subscribe. You know all the places to find the pod. You know where to find the video version. Uh, again, Saturday, myself, PTF, guests, we will be on... For three hours, we're going to be doing a two-hour shift, then breaking to allow the ABR coverage. They're going to be coming on to go over the prep races, and then PTF and I will be coming back for a final hour of coverage for first Saturday. Got all the action from Gulfstream, all the action from Santa Anita. We can, you can follow along with this. You can also watch on TVG all day. You can also watch on CNBC with the NBC crew who's going to be covering both sets of races. Uh, plenty of ways to take in all the excitement from first Saturday, this coming Saturday, March the 5th. Again, also don't forget to check out our friends at Sam Houston Race Park about that big NHC qualifier coming up in just a few short weeks' time. So uh, that's going to do it for episode 105. However, you... I can't even remember what, how I typically sign this thing off. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. There it is. I knew it would come back for a second. Uh, this has been episode 105 of the Matt Bernier Show. We'll see you this weekend.